Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 12, The Triwizard Tournament. Through the gates, flanked with statues of winged boars, and up the sweeping drive, the carriages trundled, swaying dangerously in what was fast becoming a gale. Leaning against the window, Harry could see Hogwarts coming nearer, its many lighted windows blurred and shimmering behind the thick curtain of rain. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, we have some really fun announcements. Part of everybody's holiday shopping absolutely can be our summer camp. We have some special promos available for summer camp tickets right now. And of course, if you want to give someone that you love amazing Harry Potter and the Sacred Text merchandise, you can find that. We have a special holiday sale for that as well. We have our DC live show coming up on January 12th, and there is a virtual live show of that event so you can watch us. I'm hoping that we have some people watching at two in the morning, you know, in wherever two in the morning will be at that time. Probably Europe someplace. Yeah, right? Central Europe. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. And of course, we have our Patreon. And today we are going to be talking about 
If you're coming in from a storm to Hogwarts and then you walk in the door and Peeves hits you with a water balloon and then you go in to a great feast, what food do you wish was coming up in front of you? Oh, my God. My mouth just started watering. Yeah. It it ain't pumpkin juice. I'm telling you that. (laughs) You can listen to that by subscribing at patreon.com slash Harry Potter sacred text. Vanessa, this week you're going to tell us a story about compassion. I can't wait to hear it. Something you need to know for this story is that I currently have COVID. I am incredibly lucky. I have contracted COVID in November of 2022. I have not had COVID until now. I've been vaccinated and double boosted, and I have an incredibly mild form of COVID. But what was interesting about my journey in COVID is that at first, I obviously thought I had a cold. I woke up one day and had a sore throat. And I was like, uh, this sucks. And then over the next couple of days, I was, you know, sneezing a lot. And I, I didn't feel well. And I was complaining a lot to Peter. And there was actually one afternoon, you know, we work online. And so there's no risk of getting other people sick. So it's one afternoon, I just felt so sick that I canceled meetings. And I canceled a recording session in the afternoon. And then Ariana and I were supposed to go to dinner one night, and I was like, I'm too sick to go. And she was like, okay. So she took another friend to dinner, and I texted her in the middle of her dinner, and I was like, hey, it's really good I didn't go. I can't taste anything. I just had dinner, and I can't taste anything. She texted back being like, oh, do you think it's COVID? And I was like, that's a brilliant thought. So I took a test, and, you know, test lit up. I have COVID. And Matt, as soon as I could say I had COVID, all sulking feelings just totally went away. Because saying cold to people is not something that elicits a ton of compassion. People are like, nah, but like, who cares? You say COVID and it gets a lot of compassion, rightfully, right? Suddenly taking a nap and canceling a recording session wasn't this like baby thing for me to do. It was this completely reasonable thing for me to do. People have sent me soup and juices and you know, people are just appropriately concerned because even though I have an incredibly mild case while being vaxxed and boosted and not being immunocompromised and having the honest fortune of having partial custody of kids so the kids were able to stay with their mom and not get exposed, like with all of those benefits, there was still just this level of compassion that the word COVID got from people that understandably the word cold did not. And what I really learned about myself is how much when I feel sick, I want that compassion. (laughs) I did not know this about myself, that I have this incredible desire to be able to say the right word that will elicit the right amount of pity, right? Which is one of the things that compassion is. It is like caring from a place of pity. So the thing that I'm curious about is if feeling compassion is about wanting to feel seen, right? It's saying like, yes, I'm in a bad place right now. And I I actually think a little bit of sad pity is the correct feeling that I want right now. Thanks for that story, Vanessa. I'm sorry you have COVID. Uh, I'm really <laughs> okay. Fun. One question I have is like, how much of this was internal? Like how much of this was in terms of self-compassion? Like were you? did you feel like you did not deserve pity because it wasn't a cold And only when you had the kind of label for it, you actually felt comfortable soliciting the 
pity. You deserved at every stage just because the symptoms are what matter, not not the label, right? Right. Was it partly like you were more willing to like have pity on yourself, give yourself permission to like invite people to do kind things like send juice and and give sympathy? I think part of it was even just the self-compassion to take time off. Yeah. There's something about virtual work that you're like, if I am physically capable of doing this because I can't get other people sick, I should do it. And so canceling the Hot and Bothered recording, I felt so guilty about doing it because I was just doing it for a cold. And Ariana and Lauren, the people I record with, they were like, yes, take the time off, right? Like they were wonderful about it. And yet, as soon as I tested positive, I emailed both of them being like, it was COVID, right? Like, I was allowed to take that time off. And so I think you're right. Part of it was this, like, permission for self-compassion of, like, I get to, like, not walk the dog this much. You know, it's okay if I don't clean this weekend. It's not a cold. I'm actually sick. And, like, why can't I let symptoms be a trigger for that kind of compassion? But I couldn't, right? Like, I needed the label. So this is really interesting. I mean, your story really illuminates a lot of the etymological complexities of the word compassion, if you would allow us to travel to etymology corner. I don't just allow. I encourage. So it's it's funny you use the phrase pity. The word pity actually derives from the word piety. So it actually has more to do with, like, <laughs> duty. Like, when you're uh-huh. obligated to show someone compassion. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about. Like you felt like, oh, like they ought to give me the morning off recording (laughs) because I have COVID. Right. Like it's their duty to do it. I don't have to feel bad for asking this. Compassion, meanwhile, comes from two words which ought to be related to pity. Like the second word ought to be related to pity, but isn't. It comes from the Latin compati and com means with and pati means suffering. So it means to suffer with somebody. Right. And so like to, to to recognize another person's suffering and to suffer with them. Like that's what that's what compassion is. Like to to be where they are, to recognize their suffering and to suffer with them. And you would think that the patty part would be close to pity, but it's not pity's duty. Right. And so like I think your story kind of illuminates how and when suffering with another person, or at least recognize their suffering and responding to it in a meaningful way, is an obligation and when it's not, right? That's part of where the pity factors in. That's so interesting because I don't want people to suffer with me. Well, the exact synonym in Greek is sympathy because sim means with and pathy is pati in Latin, right? So that's really interesting to me because I think of sympathy and compassion as being two very different things. Mm-hmm. But they're actually versions of the same word in Greek and Latin. Fascinating. Well, Matt, I have great compassion for you in your 30-second <laughs> recap. Are you ready? Yes, I am. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so they're coming up to Hogwarts in the pouring rain. And when they get to the front door, Peeves is there making it worse, throwing water balloons at everyone. And uh, Ron gets hit in the head and Harry's shoes get wet and they go inside. And then they, Dumbledore says, just eat. And, and Dumbledore says, just eat. And then just eat. And uh, food comes up and Hermione's like, this is made by slaves. And she's right. And then she stops eating. And Dumbledore says, there's going to be a Triwizard Tournament. And everyone says, we want to participate, but not everybody can participate. And they start making plans to participate. And Harry has a crush on show. That was genuinely an excellent job. Can you please count me in? Vanessa, are you ready? I am. Three, two, one, go.
So they arrive to Hogwarts in the pouring rain. Peeves is a total jerk butt. Hermione is like, oh, this is going to be cute. Dennis Creevy falls into the lake, but he thinks it's awesome. Colin is like completely inappropriate with Harry. He's like, look, there's Harry. Mad-Eye Moody shows up and everybody is like, thunder, scary. Oh, my God. He's missing half a face. Snape is there and he's still a jerk. Um, and the feast, and then no Quidditch, Triwizard Tournament, Fred and George want to go for it, Harry dreams about being the champion. That was great. I feel like all the important things I missed, like you just kind of listed with a lot of calm. Teamwork. Teamwork. A lot of calm and clarity. Like, I feel like I, I had a lot of stress and urgency and <laughs> named some things. And then with calm and clarity, you filled in all the gaps. We're a great team. So, Matt... Peeves. Peeves. This is not a poltergeist with a tremendous amount of compassion. Children are rolling into this room. They have just shaken themselves off from a little bit of wetness. There is no plan that Hogwarts has to give these children an opportunity to get dry before they get into the feast. Should the feast be postponed so they can go to their rooms and change? Probably. Maybe it's not possible because the trunks have to be brought up, etc. But Peeves is like, let's add water to water and hits them with water balloons. Why is this man allowed to live in this castle? I also think, I mean, Peeves, Peeves says they're already wet. So it doesn't make any difference, which is not true. Like if you're already wet and get nope. hit in the face with a water balloon, there's a difference. <laughs> right? Yep. And Peeves knows it, which is why he's yep. doing it. Here's the thing. I would like to focus on the school's response. I mean... Peeves is a yep. poltergeist. Peeves is being Peeves. We know Peeves doesn't have compassion, right? This is so Peeves, we aren't surprised. I, I, at least I'm not surprised. I feel like, you know, they're about to walk into the Great Hall, which has shooting stars in the ceiling and food that magically appears on plates before you. Like, they can't put yep. some, like, you know, giant car wash air dryers <laughs> to help, to help dry. <laughs> ch- like, they can't, they don't have some magical solution to the extreme. <sighs> sogginess that everyone's experiencing and on the contrary like you're not on the faculty to share these brilliant ideas <laughs> like, like giant car wash blowers for children and they could be yeah. like magical moving walkways that push them through <laughs> that pull them through the giant car wash blowers but on the contrary oh like God. mcgonagall is like she's mad at peeves but then has no patience with the children she's just like get in there <laughs> sorry you're wet i mean interesting patience comes from the same word as compassion that, that root about suffering patience is like that's the same route and like i was just surprised because mcgonagall seems to me like a tough but fair type person from previous books and here she seems tough but not really fair she's just like hustling into the great hall i'm not sure why maybe because they're in a rush or they're worried about getting the first years in maybe her thoughts are elsewhere because she's worried that dennis creevy just fell in the lake and so that she doesn't have the patience or compassion for these Older right. students, because there's actually a, a bigger crisis with the first years. I just feel like, for whatever reason, whether it's justified or not, McGonagall, who, again, I think of as a tough but fair teacher, does not show a lot of compassion towards these wet and miserable students as they arrive at school. This is something I've been thinking a lot about, Matt, is when people with power feel powerless, and I think they are wrong mm-hmm. to feel powerless. That they're like, there's a system here. Dinner's at a certain time. I'm just one teacher. And actually, I want to scream at them, you are the system. Like, this is actually up to you. You, McGonagall, can be the person that's like, nope, we're going to do this differently tonight. 
And maybe it's too complicated and you quickly do a pros cons list in your head and you're like, it wouldn't be fair to the house elves to have to get their trunks up there and it would just be chaos. And actually it's fine for kids to be uncomfortable for an hour. But like as an authority figure, when do you allow your compassion to change a system? And what do you owe people in those moments? You know, I it's like someone who's spent time in a hospital, right? There's this feeling that people who work in a hospital are just part of the system and there's nothing that they can do. And yet you see a lot of people resisting that, right? You do see nurses who are like, I know this is the rule, but whatever, we're going to take care of you in this, you know, subversive way. And so what is it that allows certain people to have compassion over this sense of following rules, right? What would it be in McGonagall that would be like, okay, we can't unpack the trunks, but there are towels in this castle. Let's get every kid a towel that we're handing them as they walk in. And I'm worried about this in myself. When am I like, well, this is the way it is. Sorry. And I'm not seeing the creative moment to enter compassion. Yeah. I think that's the thing that's really interesting to me is the creative moment. Like the, the compassion takes some creativity, right? Because yeah. I, it's not, I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure why McGonagall is not being compassionate here. It may be because dinner has to start on time. I think it might be that she's distracted by a bunch of other stuff that's going on, right? Moody's supposed to be right. there and hasn't shown up and is obviously a, just kind of a disruptive figure. And there's this Triwizard Tournament announcement that's about to happen. And the first years, yep. Dennis Creevy fell in the lake and the first years are having their own kind of crisis as they approach the school. There's lots of things going on and it seems like McGonagall... The lake might overflow. Yeah, right. And although Dumbledore is the head of school, it seems like McGonagall's kind of the chief of staff who actually gets things done. And so she is the one who is totally. having to respond to all these crises. And so I don't know why she doesn't have compassion, but right, I think there is something about maybe being pulled in a lot of different directions and having your mind in six different places, which keeps you from being present to the people in front of you and having that kind of moment of of creativity where you're like, oh, here is actually a problem that if I could just focus on this problem for a moment that I could solve fairly easily because I'm a witch and could conjure towels for, for these folks if I needed to. A transfiguration yeah, witch. Exactly. I could turn rags into like super fluffy towels. Exactly, right? And to me, that's the thing is like how compassion requires this creativity, but it also requires like this attention. And and maybe that's the spirit of the idea of suffering with. I know you said like, you don't want people to suffer, suffer with you. And I don't want that either when I am suffering. But I think you do need people to kind of understand what you're going through. I think it's what's important in your story is like when the label COVID could be attached to your symptoms, then suddenly people were able to understand, oh, this is what Vanessa's going through. And I should respond in a particular way, right? right? Whereas I think because McGonagall is kind of pulled in a lot of different directions here, she is just not attending to what these kids are actually going through, which is just kind of miserable. I mean, it makes me think of the giant squid. We hear in this chapter that Dennis Creevy falls in the lake and he says that something pushes him up out of the water, back into the boat. And Colin says, oh, it's probably the giant squid, right? And this is interesting. Like, can we think of the giant squid as having compassion in this moment, right? Of course, this is an act of kindness from the giant squid to put Dennis back in the boat. But I mean, thinking about compassion in this particular way, where the squid is a creature of the lake, there's nothing the squid wants to do more than be in the lake. But when Dennis falls in the lake, the squid is able to recognize, oh, that's not a good thing for Dennis. 
Dennis is going through something, right? <laughs> right? Like, I love it here. He might not like it. Like, he's able to actually understand the other person's suffering, the other creature's suffering, and respond to that suffering. I think maybe that's the sense of suffering with. Not that you actually have to feel the same feelings or go through the same awful stuff, but that you can recognize where a person is and what they're going through so that you can respond to it. The squid does that in the most counterintuitive way, one would guess, for a squid, because for a squid, like, being in the lake is the best thing ever. McGonagall doesn't do that when the children show up because, you know, who knows why, but doesn't, can't see, like, she has the power to actually improve their situation significantly without a lot of effort. It's the without a lot of effort thing, Matt, that I want to focus on because I think that that's what happens, right? Is you're like, sorry, I can't do everything. I got to get these kids in line. I got to get Dennis Creevy. I got to wait for Moody. The kids are fine. They're wet, but they're fine. Really, all she would have to do is say, hey, you know, Madam Hooch, go grab some towels, right? And we decide at some point that, like, we don't have energy for compassion, And I just don't think that it's a zero-sum game. And actually, I think it's the opposite, that seeing the kids all wrapped in towels and being like, oh, I did that, is actually going to fill her up with more energy. And I think often I see the moment for compassion, and I'm like, I don't have time right now, (laughs) right? Like, I'm dividing and conquering here, and, like, it's not my job to take care of this other thing also. And I just, like, wish we would all pause. And again, this is, you know, mostly myself. And be like, nope, and there's still time for compassion because often compassion takes a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I think that shared root, linguistic root between patience and the passion part of compassion, it's, you're right, it's starting to like become more and more significant. Like it just takes slowing down for a second and realizing I have time to do this. I have time to make a difference, right? I have time to actually improve things. Maybe not solve every problem, but improve things for the person in front of me. And that's meaningful and that's significant. And it'll actually fortify me to face the other things that I have to deal with. Yeah, I think that's right. And part of it is self-compassion because I think part of the reason we often do nothing is because we can't do everything. So again, I can imagine McGonagall being like, okay, but then we're going to have to wash a million towels and it's not actually going to dry them, right? Like in a perfect world, I would do this. And it's it's also just okay to not do everything, right? Like, and I, I know that, again, for myself, I'll be like, well, I can't solve this. And so I move on. Yep. And you don't have to solve it, right? Like, you can just make it a little bit better. Yeah. I think that's right. But I think I want to hold on to your question about power or your your note about power, right? Yeah. So in the tradition of me kind of defending Dumbledore, right, there's one version of reading what Dumbledore does in this <laughs> chapter, which says that he is doing the little bit that he can do, right? So the children come into the Great Hall and they're wet and hungry and they what they want is something warm to eat or drink to to kind of since they don't have towels or dry clothes they want like that other kind of remedy and they have to go through the sorting hat ceremony first and it's very long and people are very impatient and they get through the ceremony and Dumbledore stands up to speak and he just says tuck in right and you could see that as like if we were defending Dumbledore and I don't know that I am necessarily we could see that as Dumbledore saying you don't need to hear a big speech right now what you need is warm food and warm drink. <laughs> so I'm not going to extend your suffering any further. Here's the little bit I can do. Tuck in. I won't say much. And they are, they they do, and they're grateful, right? 
But at any point before that, Dumbledore also could have given them towels, right? He, he also <laughs> had the power before that moment. So he does a little bit, but the little bit you do could also be, doesn't mean that you can't do more, right? And at every point during this time period <laughs> when they are waiting to eat and dripping wet, washing the sorting hat, they had all the other opportunities to like get towels or transfigure wet clothes into dry clothes or whatever they needed to do. Yeah. And part of me wants to extend grace. And the other part of me wants to say, when you're the person with power, it's really your job to push yourself up to the edge of that. Yeah. At least to have some practices to pause and, you know, do your best. And again, I'm saying this as someone who a lot of people who the onus is on me to take care of. And it, it's not just an onus. It's a tremendous privilege. And just thinking about the places where I don't have compassion and trying to make space for that. I will say, though, that it doesn't always come from a place of power, a lack of compassion. Arguably, Harry Potter has more power than Colin Creevy, mm-hmm. right? And yet Colin Creevy has zero compassion for Harry's privacy, the fact that he doesn't want to be a center of attention in this way, that, yes, he's famous. He is not famous in a way that he courted at all. So Colin, they're they're in the Great Hall, and we see Colin because he's super excited to see Harry. And, you know, they're both at the Gryffindor table. And Colin is understandably excited. His brother is now at Hogwarts. They seem to have a very close-knit, very sweet family where they're both muggle-born but are both wizards and are, like, clearly, you know, the dad's into photography. This is, like, it's clearly a very sweet, enthusiastic family, which I'm very into. And yet Colin is, right, like, saying hi to Harry, which is fine, but then pointing at Harry when Dennis enters the room. And it's like, look, Dennis, that's Harry Potter. And is objectifying Harry, right, is pointing him out as a famous person, not as a kind person, not as a fellow student, a fellow Gryffindor, but as Harry the famous guy. And I don't know, like, Colin is not someone with a tremendous amount of power, and yet I wish he would pause and have a little bit of compassion here. I think it's on everybody to do it, including 12-year-old Colin. Yeah, I think that's that's really right. And I think that, like, that example speaks to a way that we might complicate the picture we were describing before, where I was saying, like, you know, McGonagall's not paying attention to these kids, not paying attention to what they're going through. Like, Colin is paying attention to Harry, paying too much attention to Harry, right. but is paying attention to him right. in a way that actually obscures what's going on with Harry, right? And so, like, not every attention yeah. is equal. Yeah. And, like, there's a right kind of attention or wrong kind of attention, and that's what that Colin's giving. So I totally agree with that. I would just like to have, like, maybe one moment of compassion for Colin, which is that, you know, I think yes. Harry is not famous to Colin for his trauma. He's famous because he defeated Lord Voldemort, which is... You know, the whole wizarding community was traumatized. And so for them, what they see is the hero who defeated this signal evil in our history. And that obscures what Harry's experience of it was, which was him losing his parents. Right. And that's that's the fundamental gap. Like, I think Colin and a lot of the wizarding world, they're thinking about their trauma, what they went through because they were so afraid of who Voldemort was and what Voldemort was doing. And that makes them celebrate Harry as their hero in a way that keeps them from actually paying attention to how deep and traumatic this history and this memory is for is for Harry. But there are some people who do, right? I mean, obviously, there are some characters who to see Harry differently because they get to know him, but also some characters, you know, like Neville, for, for whom, like, the, the story is always about what he lost, not about who he defeated, right? Yes. I, of course, have compassion for Colin also. I just, 
Yeah, it's more that I just want us to pay attention to the fact that sometimes I think even though we have less power, we still have the power to be compassionate. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. I am curious, Matt, what you make of this moment. So Matt-Eye Moody walks in and the weather conspires to make it very dramatic. There's thunder. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's so dramatic. And he's like in half light for a minute because of lightning. And he has this scarred face, right? Because of all the battles that he has fought fighting dark wizards. And at some point, we should probably talk about Mad-Eye Moody as a police officer and as a law enforcement officer Mm. as we learn more about his career as an OR. But at this point, we don't know a ton about it. We just know that, you know, he's severely injured from the work that he has done. And Hermione says, what happened to his face? And part of me wants to read that as compassionate. Right. She doesn't say, oh, my God, he's horrifying, which does seem to be like the collective gasp reaction of the room. It's like concern. Right. She's like, what is the story there? And yet I wonder if I was moody and I overheard that, if I would receive that as compassionate or as you're treating me like I'm an object to be stared at. Do you think that we can read what Hermione is up to here as compassionate or Is this just like curiosity and it's fair? How do you read this moment with Hermione? Uh, I think I want to read it compassionately. Yeah. It may not be an either or. I think that there's probably some curiosity in it. But I think just because I love Hermione, I want to read Hermione as actually wanting the story. Like what happened to him? 
right? Not like just because I'm yeah. I want the gory details, and you know that doesn't. When I read that that line of dialogue in my head, the voice in my head, it's not a gossipy tone. It's more like a tone mm-hmm. of concern and sort of like, oh my gosh, he's been through something. And I want to understand because I want to understand him. Like I want to like attend to him. And But you're right. I think, you know, as a person walking through the room, maybe overhearing that, I can also see how it, it might land as gossipy or curious in the wrong way. Right. But I don't know. I, yeah. I just think that because Hermione's heart is in the right place so many times, even when her language is, her language is not always the right language. Right. You know, she doesn't have always have the most pastoral response, but in every case, it seems like her heart is in the right place. Yeah. And so I, I want to see her heart as being in the right place here and asking it not because she's fascinated by the violent history and past of this aura, but because she actually knows he's been through something and wants to understand. Yeah, that's how I want to read it, too. And I think even if it's not the perfect question, it is a version of the right question. And it is not, oh, my God, he's so ugly. Oh, my God, look at him. How horrifying, which you can imagine other children saying. And I think teaching children how to respond to people who don't look like them and who they haven't grown up looking at, I think is a a fair thing, right? Like right. it's hard to respond to something you haven't seen before, whatever it is. Right. Yeah, I, I do read this as like seeing scars and being curious about the scars without trying to reduce yeah. Mad-Eye to only that. I mean, that's really interesting too, though. I mean, I just think about this as a, you know, as a parent of children, Mm-hmm. of young children, some of whom are no longer so young, but like kind of teaching children that that actual compassion, mm-hmm. like it matters how you articulate what you're feeling mm-hmm. because you have to pay attention to what people are going to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't just like, you know, if, if my child had a question about someone else's appearance, that because I know my children, I suspect is coming from a place of real compassion. Right. I also know because they're children, the words that might come out of their mouth are not going to be the ones that will feel supportive to the person who hears them right and so part of helping a child develop the skills of compassion is to like you need to understand how a person's going to hear what you're saying yeah like that's a little bit of like suffering with too you have to project yourself into the other person's position and imagine what it would feel like to hear what you are saying and then say what you want to say in a way that will land gently upon them and that that's a that's a pastoral skill that doesn't that takes development and takes the ability to imagine yourself in another position to to suffer with somebody or at least to to imagine what another suffer what another suffering might be like so yeah i think this is also a scene that hermione like all these kids is a child right and that and that they are that's part of what they're there to do that's part of what growing up means it's it's learning to cultivate one's feelings and articulate them in a way that is supportive rather than potentially hurtful or dismissive Well, and if compassion is at least in part about pausing, I think that, Mm. you know, if you truly want to be compassionate to someone, right, like especially now in the age of like Google and YouTube and easy library downloads, right, like you can pause and do research, right? Like Hermione has this like initial outrage about house elves and this like is genuine compassion. And then she's going to go back and do some research, right? And not go yep. interview the house elves and be like, tell me the history of house elf enslavement, right? She's going to take that yeah. on herself. And you can imagine her doing something similar with Moody, right? Of going back and reading yep. about the war and the things that the Aurors did and having her own opinion. I think that 
compassion takes a tremendous amount of energy. I think sometimes, you know, we talked about the ways that it can be about pausing and getting towels in the moment. But I also think, you know, what I hope McGonagall did is that the meeting, the next staff meeting the next day, be like, hi, how do we still not have a rain plan? This is in Scotland. <laughs> like, can <laughs> we right. freaking solve this for next year? Yeah. And so I do think compassion also requires a little bit of work. Yeah. Speaking of compassion requiring work and of our beloved Hermione, let me ask you about this situation. Yeah. So Hermione learns that the house elves are preparing the food. She says there are house elves at Hogwarts, and she realizes that there is this enslaved class of creatures that mm-hmm. is providing their meals and also like lighting fires and doing things around the house. And in that moment, she pushes her plate away and stops eating. Yeah. Right. And as we were saying, like, this is the only comfort that the faculty and staff at Hogwarts have provided to these <laughs> rain drenched and water balloon drenched students. It's a warm meal. And Hermione immediately pushes away. And, you know, Ron kind of makes something of it. He kind of teases her with how delicious the food is. And he, he actually says to her, you won't get the house elf sick leave by starving yourself. Right? He actually says whatever stand you're taking in this moment isn't actually changing their condition down below. But it's important to Hermione in a way that I can identify with. Like, this is the suffering with part. Which she's like, I am not going to enjoy something that derives from their suffering. And so I would rather suffer. It's not the same suffering. I'm not projecting my suffering upon them right. or assuming that my plight is the same as theirs. But there is something about her saying, like, you know, I'm not going to do this because that would be less compassionate. I would, I would not be paying attention to what they're going through for the sake of my comfort in this moment. I mean, to me, that's like a a very like tidy example of what suffering with can be if we think about compassion that way. But I also want to think about Ron's comment, which is like that suffering with doesn't actually change their condition. So what is the value of it? I mean, I think I know the answer, but I, because I, I think maybe you already said it in our conversation, but I'm curious what you think about that. So I genuinely think part of what Hermione does in that moment is say like, I'm not going to be able to enjoy this food now, right? Like every bite is going to yeah. taste like injustice. Yeah, right, <laughs> and like right. This is like now gross to me. I think compassion isn't enough, and she knows that, and that this is her initial moment of pause, and she is going to pause more and figure out that it's not enough. But I think it's an important moment of exercise, and mostly I just want to kiss her for it, that, like, her first sense of, like, what is to at least do something. And again, it's like an imperfect thing, but it's an initial pause. I think that's right. I mean, the reason I said that I thought that you had given an answer already is that this is not all that Hermione does, right? She goes and researches. She tries to organize. Like, we'll hear about all these things later on. This is more a reaction in the moment, I think. I don't think she's trying to suggest through this action to Ron or anybody else, this is going to make the difference. Me (laughs) not eating this meal is going to make the difference. (laughs) Yeah, right? There is in our world like a category of sort of virtue signaling where like people pretend that is all that needs to be done. Right. Because I've withheld this or I've taken a particular stand, I have shown myself to be on the right side of the issue. What's beautiful about Hermione is like she just doesn't want to eat because it won't taste good. And then she actually does the real stuff that makes a difference, right? She researches, she tries to advocate, she tries to organize. Right. This is a very grandiose argument that I'm about to make, but I do think you can draw a direct line from this to the Hogwarts victory against Voldemort, right? Like, this creates more awareness. I told you it was grandiose, but follow me. This (laughs) enters a seedling in Harry's head 
about his relationship with Dobby and thinking about house elf freedom. And Dobby's loyalty is going to be key in helping the kids survive. And the house elves are going to be so important in the Battle of Hogwarts. And I think part of this pushing away and then this research that Hermione is doing, it does not free the house elves. But I do think that later Ron and Harry are going to have a tremendous amount of compassion when they meet the house elves, or even if they don't have a tremendous amount of compassion, more than they would have had without Hermione. And so I do think that sometimes these little gestures do matter. I think that's right. I think they absolutely matter. And they matter not because her not eating is the change that transforms the world, but that the fact that she can't enjoy eating says that she is going to be the kind of person that's going to attend to others in the way that they will need to (laughs) defeat Voldemort. One plate push away for Hermione, ending evil in the world for mankind. That's right. All right, Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice. And this week we are going to be doing Lectio Divina. I have selected a sentence at random from the chapter, and I'm going to read it to you now. Great. Thank you. Tiny Dennis Creevy staggered forward, tripping over Hagrid's moleskin just as Hagrid himself sidled into the hall through a door behind the teacher's table. So the first step of Lectio Divina, Vanessa, is we are going to discuss what is literally going on in the chapter right now. So can you help me and our listeners remember what is going on? Why is Dennis staggering in and what's going on with Hagrid? The choppy waters (laughs) across the lake were so treacherous that this small child seems to have popped out of the boat And luckily, it was Dennis Creevy and not another kid, because Dennis thinks that this is awesome, whereas another child might have been scarred for life by this. And the giant squid pushes Dennis out. And so beautiful Hagrid had compassion for Dennis Creevy. This is the towel moment. Hagrid is like, I do not have enough power to interrupt taking kids across the lake. But this very, very wet child, I can give him my huge moleskin coat and warm at least this one child, Rubius Hagrid, doing the most. Right. He can't do magic, but he does what he can. Like the little bit yeah. you can do, do it. That's exactly what you That was exactly the lesson from earlier in the episode. So, Vanessa, in step two of Lectio, we try to recall other texts, other kind of artifacts other stories that this moment reminds us of. So let me read it again. Tiny Dennis Creevy staggered forward, tripping over Hagrid's moleskin, just as Hagrid himself sidled into the hall through a door behind the teacher's table. This image of tiny Dennis Creevy staggering forward reminds me of when, like, someone is being pushed forward as a sacrifice. Hmm. Like in something like The Hunger Games, right? There's something about this tiny kid staggering forward into this big, scary room that is, like, really terrifying. And then, of course, you know, he's tripping over Hagrid's moleskin. But I feel like it's something you see in, like, Game of Thrones, right? Like, the innocent little lamb being pushed forward into this, like, great big, scary place. I went a totally different direction with my cultural association. I see Dennis Creevy in this oversized coat, and I think of the movie Big with Tom Hanks. So for those who don't know the movie Big with Tom Hanks, there's a 12-year-old who wishes to be big, 
And that 12-year-old's wish comes true. And that 12-year-old becomes Tom Hanks for much of the movie. And then right at the end of the movie, shrinks back down to a 12-year-old and his clothes are much too big for him when he does that. There's something about like the child in oversized clothing moment. I mean, there's something about like vulnerability that is communicated, I think, in that particular portrayal, which is why I think it works at the end of Big, because it reminds us that Tom Hanks was actually a kid all along, right? But there's also something in this moment of Dennis walking across the stage, you know, and not just in any grown-up's coat. Dennis is small. It's not just any (laughs) grown-up's coat. It's Hagrid's coat, right? And Hagrid is the biggest grown-up around. He looks especially small and vulnerable in that moment. And that's, that's what this reminded me of. Yeah. So step three of Lectio Divina is we think about what this line reminds us of in our own life. So let me read it one more time. Tiny Dennis Creevy staggered forward, tripping over Hagrid's moleskin, just as Hagrid himself sidled into the hall through a door behind the teacher's table. Can I tell you what this genuinely reminds me of, Matt? Please, I would like you to. It reminds me of my relationship with Stephanie Paulsell. Really? I feel like I'm Dennis Creevy and she's Hagrid. <laughs> and I'm just like stumbling into rooms sometimes. And she's like, don't worry, Vanessa, you're going to sound smart. And I'm like, am I? And she's like, sure, why not? You look ridiculous pretending to be in my clothes, but you'll do great. I just feel like Stephanie and I have present co-presented at several conferences and she will like go up and talk about theory and she'll talk about it Teresa of Avila and Hildegard and Marguerite Doit and then I go up and I'm like let's talk about Harry Potter and <laughs> and she just sits there like Hagrid being so proud and being like you don't look ridiculous in my mole skin and I'm like do you know what you're right I look awesome So that's what it reminds me of, are those moments that you feel like you're pretending to be an adult, but you also feel well taken care of by the adult. Yeah. What about you, Matt? For the last year and a half, I've held this professorship at Harvard, which is a kind of like historic professorship, right? And I don't really feel qualified to have it, but I have it. And there's a degree to which, you know, I I go to a lot of meetings with faculty here at Harvard and I go into other kind of conversations with folks. And sometimes I feel like I'm walking in wearing this big coat. Like this big thing that doesn't fit. Like, this is what I look like to people. Like, I went to a meeting the other day where someone introduced me as as the plumber professor and the minister of the church. And a woman in the front row started laughing when she said, and she said, the minister, and started laughing. (laughs) And and, and I just, I couldn't really blame her because like, yeah, can you believe it? I also am incredulous. This coat does not fit. That's what I felt like saying. And so I feel like that sometimes. Uh, it just That's feels like a so big weird. It feels like a big thing to put on. I know she is a she was a very elderly person. I think that okay. I think I probably looked like I'm like look twelve young. to her. But yes. that's what I mean. Like I look young. <laughs> I look like Colin Creevy in this giant coat. And clearly, you know, not qualified to be wearing it. You need a, a larger presence to fill it out like Hagrid. <laughs> and yet I'm walking across the stage in it. So I'm gonna read it a fourth time, Vanessa. <laughs> and we are gonna talk about Uh, what this line calls us to do in our own lives. Tiny Dennis Creevy staggered forward, tripping over Hagrid's moleskin, just as Hagrid himself sidled into the hall through a door behind the teacher's table. What do you feel called to do? It makes me feel called to throw more coats on people. You know, just be like, this isn't going to solve the problem, but 
here's a cookie, you know, like it's going to make yeah. you feel a little bit loved. And, you know, I also hope Hagrid in his like loving way brings up tomorrow that, you know, in staff meeting that they should come up with a rain plan. But Hagrid really is literally disempowered by this institution. Like They have strategically taken power away from him. So I would understand why he didn't do that. And so have a little self-compassion and, you know, at least do something. At least throw a coat on a child. Hagrid does more than anybody else by throwing one coat on one child. Yeah. What about you, Matt? I think my answer is going to be kind of similar. So sorry to steal it from you. But I I think it's, I mean, it's slightly different in that, like, whether or not I feel comfortable wearing this coat, I have it on. And there's a lot of room in here. Like, there's real power that comes from it. And I could spend all my time anxious about whether or not I ought to have that power. Or I could spend some time trying to use that power to, like, shield other people, lift up other voices, provide comfort to people. So, yeah, I think that's the thing is, like, to to not get in my own way thinking about whether or not I belong in the position. But just to think of, I'm in the position and to think about how I could use it to sort of support others. Yeah, that's what I think what it calls me to do. And there's nobody better. Whether or not there's a better person, I'm the one wearing it. Right. No, you're the best. Well, thanks, Vanessa. Thanks for Lectio Divina. Thank you, Matt. This was really fun. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's voicemail is from Aurora. Hello, Matt, Vanessa, and the whole Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. This is Aurora calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I just finished listening to your podcast on book four, chapter eight the Quidditch World Cup, and I would like to offer a blessing for Aiden Lynch. He's been carried around by his teammates because he's unable to support himself and most likely has a concussion. While it's true his team won, and I'm sure he's glad about that, he's been having a very bad day, one crash after another, and then he gets hauled back on a broom to go do a lap of honor with his teammates, which sounds awful for somebody who's dizzy and unsteady on their feet. Sometimes I feel like I'm getting smacked in the face with one thing after another. It's been especially that way through COVID times. 
So I would like to offer a blessing for Aiden Lynch and anyone else who just can't get a break. Thanks for the podcast and all you do. Bye. Thank you, Aurora, and thanks for that blessing. I'm sorry about how difficult a time it's been and for not getting a break. But I also want to extend the blessing, you know, to, in the same way we bless the folks who held up Aiden Lynch. I'd like to extend a blessing to all the folks who I hope have been supporting you and the folks who will continue to support you. Matt, I just want to tell Aurora that in the live show that we did recently, you blessed Aiden Lynch also. Yeah, for almost exactly the same reason. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear this voice memo. Thank you so much for that blessing, Aurora. Now is the time in the podcast when we remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Bubba Powell, 19, who had the best dance moves. Emmanuel Tabelisma, a loving Lolo who led through kindness. Baby Bishka, who miscarried at six weeks and is forever loved. Huey, seven. Though his heart was weak, he loved fiercely. Gary Bradshaw, 62, a father, brother, and a man of fun. Heinz Palmai, 86, a beloved husband, father, and grandfather. Let light perpetual shine upon them. Vanessa, it's time for our blessings. Who are you going to bless this week? I'm blessing Hermione for this moment of outrage. She learns something and she immediately has this beautiful reaction and takes an action. I think often I and many of us don't have access to the right action and therefore take none. And as I said, I think Hermione pushing this food away is responsible for the defeat of Voldemort. And even if it wasn't, I just love that she does something. So a blessing for Hermione and all of her gorgeous outrage. What about you, Matt? Who do you want to bless? I'd like to bless Dennis Creevy. And it's just because he's such a good sport. He's so excited to be there. That's not to forgive the fact that others who are responsible for caring for him are not giving him as much care as he deserves. But I just I just love that he is so excited to be there that he is interpreting everything as just part of the experience. <laughs> and he's just so there for it. And it's just, it's fun to be around people like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it makes like hardships and difficulties more bearable. I saw that in Dennis and he's a very winning and endearing character for that reason. So blessings for Dennis and for all those who, who are good sports. Matt, next week, we are doing a very special episode about forgiveness. We're going to highlight some moments of forgiveness in the Harry Potter series. And we're doing that to celebrate your brilliant book that has come out. I'm excited. There are so many great examples of forgiveness in the Harry Potter series. And I think it's going to be a great conversation. And your definition of forgiveness, I really think, is going to change so many people's lives. And so I 
compel everybody to pick up Matt's book, Forgiveness, an Alternative Account. Absolutely brilliant. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have a new tarot class where we will be focusing on herb and myth. And you can find out more about that at notsorryworks.com. We have a live show at 6 to 9 in Washington, D.C., and virtual tickets are also available for that. You can find out more at harrypottersacredtext.com. And we have some special things going for our merchandise and for summer camp. And you can find out more about all of that at notsorryworks.com. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week to Aurora for their voicemail, to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, Hannah Rehack, and everyone who sent in the names of those you have loved and lost this week. I think I called your book Reading with Jane Eyre once, which is obviously a reading Jane Eyre. <laughs> I don't What's the title of my... Oh, Praying. I literally... Praying with Jane Eyre. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I forgot what it's called too. <laughs>